Thank you. I'm Daniel by one of the pastors here, and uh, we continue our sermon series on the fatal attractions, the seven deadly sins. And I'm, uh, I'm not sure if you read it, but I uh, read this story last week. It was a lady, a young lady, who came to her father, and the girl said, uh, uh, I have to write this paper. Can you help me with this paper, Daddy? Can you explain to me what's the difference between anger and annoying or irritation? And the dad said, yeah, sure. And he picked up the phone and he dialed a number at random and said, hello, is Melvin there? And the, the answer was a man and said, uh, no, there's no Melvin here. Uh, make sure you check your number before you dial next time and just don't dial without being very careful. So he hanged up, and the man said to his daughter, the father, you see, that's a little bit of an, uh, an annoyance, just a little bit of an irritation. Maybe he was busy, so he kind of told us what to do. Now let me show you what's anger. So he called the same number again, <laughs> and he said, is Melvin there? And the voice said, I just told you, and I think you are very disrespectful. You shouldn't call this number ever again. And then he hanged up, you know. And the dad said, now that's anger. Now let me show you what means really annoying. And he called a third time. <laughs> and after he uh, listened a little bit of yelling and screaming, he said, Hello, this is Melvin. Do you have any messages for me? <laughs> we grow up with anger in different ways, right? We, uh, we grow up... Uh, and we learn anger from, uh, from friends, from family, from circumstances. People came to Romania during the communism and said, we are all angry and we don't smile. And there are some reasons for that. But uh, let me just give you one simple one. And, uh, you know, we, we had to buy milk. And we took these bottles with us. Uh, every morning you go and at 5 o'clock my parents will wake me up. And we will go to a store. This is a store you see on the right side there. At the left side at the top it's, it says milk. People are in a line, you know, the store is really empty, but there is one item that they buy, milk. And if you see the lady, she has one uh, bottle of milk, it looks like that, right, in her hand. And my guess is because it's one, it's buttermilk, you know, buttermilk was limited to one bottle per person. But often you will go and stay in line and, uh, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night, it's cold outside, you are cold, it's cold inside too. And you go and stay in line and it's a limited supply. So before you even get to the cash register, the milk is gone. And then you have to just say, okay, maybe next time I'll be more lucky, you know. But uh, a lot of people got angry, right? Because all their day, I mean, that, that was how they spent their time, you know, going from line to line. Because, okay, there is something here. You just stay in line and they say, why, why are we in line? And then you'll find out because it's something good. It's bread or milk or something, you know. And it can get annoying after a while, right? And uh, you say, well, that's just Romania. Well, well this was a, a picture taken in Cuba in a government store this, this year. So it's the same thing. They don't have the lines, but it, there's not much to buy there, you know, besides rice and beans. So it's not only in one country. It's all over, you know. And uh, you should see how nice the communism is, you know. Just live there for a few years. But um, fatal attraction, anger is something that we all have to deal with. And I would like you to just point to this verse in the Bible. It says, in your anger, do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So what is anger, right? What is anger? What is anger? If Jesus talks about anger, it must be that it's important. So what is anger? And I think that a general definition is just a human emotion. A response to something that happens. And scientists have looked... They, they looked at our brain and they say that the frontal lobe right here is the, the, the one that decides. And one way they discover that is somebody got hurt with a pipe and uh, they didn't, you know, the person did not die. But after they took out the pipe from, from the front lobe here, he was very angry. Short fuse. And they said this must be the center that controls our reaction to what happens. So anger is a response to something that happens. Now, it can be a good response. If you see an injustice, you can respond in anger and defend the right cause, the good cause, or it can be an anger that causes an injustice or amplifies an injustice, right? Uh, so, I just want you to, I will come back to this uh, later on, but just for the first few seconds, I would like you to introduce you to a character, it's Spider-Man 2, and he is meeting with Max, and he is saving Max. Max is very calm at this point in time, so just watch with me. Okay, what, uh, what happens there is uh, we didn't have the sound, but you'll see the sound too. important, Max. How do you know my name? It's written on your badge. I'm a nobody. Hey, you're not a nobody. You're somebody. Like that. Right, listen to me. Now I need you. You're my eyes and ears out here. All right? All right. I'll stay out there. So at this point in time, Max is really calm and, uh, you know, but anger could be also something that pushes us to desire revenge, you know, to desire revenge. And somebody said that anger uh, is always seeking to uh, get revenge, to obtain that, you know. But I would say that it can be, it can be a destructive force when it can get out of control. For example, anger at work, if you display anger at work, it can lead to many, many, many destructive behaviors. You can destroy yourself, your career, and also the lives of those who work there. Anger can tear apart families and marriages and friends, you know, how many times you you hear kids come home and they just broke up because of a fight or because of somebody being angry. And anger, in, in a way, dictates one's quality of life. Have you seen people that are angry? And they are almost like a grenade, a hand grenade, with, with a, you pull out the, the ring and it's like, you know, you never know when they just go off. It's like one, two, three, boom, you know. And that's why we say some people are short fuse. What do you mean that? You know, you, you just lit a fire and it you know, doesn't take counting to 10, and they explode because they're, they are so charged. with almost like it's a barrel with TNT or a box with dynamite box, you know. So we have anger, and the more we let anger control us, the more explosive we become. So, and it dictates our quality of life. 
But then I will say anger can also turn into something that we don't want to. And it can turn into rage. And have you seen people that have rage issues? Let me give you some example. It's uh, seating rage. It's that rage that covers a lot of resentment and represses or suppresses a lot of hurts. You see, for instance, Mary, let's call her Mary. She grew up uh, with an abusive family, and then as she matured, her husband that, uh, that she married is also pretty much disrespecting her on a, on a regular basis. She goes to work, and her boss is also laughing at her ideas. And everybody knows her by being a quiet, kind of down-to-earth lady. But once in a while, that hand grenade goes off, right? Because she suppresses so much abuse, so much hurt. She has so much resentment. And once in a while, she will say things to others that she will regret. And she knows that. So people now have started to learn that from time to time, she will just let it go. And she is always sorrowful, but she cannot control that rage that comes over her. Then you can think of another type of rage, shame-based rage. And this is, uh, just think of, uh, let's call him Tommy. And he, uh, he is uh, always in a need to be in control. You know, he cannot lose control over things. And he is so low on self-esteem that when he talks with somebody, especially at his work, about his performance, he works so hard, but he cannot take criticism. So therefore, he cannot take any or hold any job for a long time because he will just take that criticism and doesn't know how to handle it and just give it back and say, so who are you? He will scream at his boss to tell me what to do because I'm doing my job faithfully. But you see, it's that rage that has, is based on his inability to take criticism and to improve. And then his survival rage. Let's call her, uh, or maybe just again, uh, Jack. Okay, so Jack. He grew up um, in a family that was violent. And at 10 years old, he uh, was taken to the ER. His father almost killed him in, in beating. And then the mother lied to the doctor, said, well, he just fell and rolled over. And, and then he grew up with this attitude of abuse, violence and abuse. And as he grew up, he was even stronger. And one time he beat his dad. But now he's a young adult. And his fear is that being in the wrong place at the wrong time, being challenged, he might kill somebody in a violent act. Because he knows that he has that fuse there that it can lead him to acts that he cannot control. He cannot have control over. And then there is the sudden range, you know, quick, intense, furious. This is, let's call her Lucy. And Lucy is at, um, is at work and she, she really cannot uh, hear that somebody is better than her, that somebody is smarter or more productive. So anytime that she hears somebody else praising somebody else, she has to be always on top. And always to feel that I am the best or I can do things better than others. So people know her because very often she just gets her face red and immediately she starts to unleash and to put others down. And then finally, abandonment rage. You know, somebody uh, who, uh, let's say uh, we call her Janet. And Janet grew up in a family in which her father and mother split. And then they abandoned her. She grew up with the grandparents. And now she is a young adult and uh, she just finished high school. She has a relationship with this boy. 
But she knows because of that, she is so, she is so cautious and she is so jealous of anything that her boyfriend says. And in fact, she is so afraid of losing that relationship that sometimes she will just pull the shotgun and, and threaten pull it at her, at her or at him. Because she wants to make sure that she can keep those relationships. She cannot aban- be abandoned by another relationship because she, she's afraid and she's jealous. And you've seen people like that, right? So in the end we say, wow, you know, that's rage. You know, so anger can turn into rage. But is all of our rage or all of our anger sin? Is everything that we do in anger a sin? And anger indeed is a vice and is a deadly sin. But you can say, yeah, how is it possible then that we all have that? Why is it that it's a human natural emotion and yet is a sin? All religions, just so you know, all religions considered anger and rage as a problem, as evil. And in the antiquity, in the ancient times, Amon was the demon of anger. And many people, even in the, in the ancient time, worshipped him. And, and they knew that if you are um, close to him, if you worship him, you will also get that rage from him and anger. But in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, Satan is the incarnation of anger and rage. And there is one text in the Bible, and it's uh, in John chapter 8. And Jesus is with, is with the Pharisees, and uh, he is in the temple. And if you remember, they bring to him that woman that was caught in adultery. And he is talking with them in the temple, and he is kind of rebuking them by writing in the sand, if you remember. And then they come to him, and they say to him, So, uh, Jesus, we are... How can you say that you will tell us the truth and the truth will set us free because we already have the truth. We are indeed the sons of Abraham. Abraham is our father. And then Jesus looks at them and at that time they were plotting how to kill him because of his miracles, because of giving forgiveness to this lady, because of claiming that he can forgive sins. So they were already plotting how to kill him. And uh, this is what Jesus tells them. I know that uh, you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Because my words, my word finds no place in you. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. It's a powerful charge, I think, to say to somebody who is a son of Abraham, basically what Jesus says is, yes, you can belong to the covenant community. You are covenant people. You belong to this community that we call the sons and daughters of Abraham. But he doesn't mean, and then what he says in the text basically says, you become the slave of the sin that you obey. If you try to kill me, basically Jesus says, it is not because you are the sons of Abraham. Because the sons of Abraham will receive my word. But because you reject my word and you reject me and you try to kill me, you you align yourself to a different father. And it's not me. It's a different father. And indeed the Bible tells us that in the heart, a heart filled with sins, is a heart ruled by the devil. And that's what Jesus tells them. If you have this desire in your heart, basically says, to kill me because you do not receive my word, don't think that you serve God or that you are his children. 
No matter how much you have the circumcision, no matter how much you have the washing that you do every day, the ceremonial laws, the sacrifices at the temple, if your heart is not circumcised, basically Jesus says, if you do not kill sin in your heart, but you kill others like me for my message, you cannot be the sons and daughters of Abraham. You see, the Holy Spirit is outside the heart. It's not inside. Once the heart is captured by sin, there's no more room for the Holy Spirit. For the, and those kind of flames around, are, those are the graces of God that are almost like impenetrable for the heart that is filled with sin. And this is what Paul tells us. And in Ephesians, he basically say, says, do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, he says, do not crack the door because he will put his foot in the door. And he's always, he's always watching for opportunities. So anger indeed can lead to a human brutality and atrocity. Is anger a sin always? Sometimes it can lead to that. Can you think of Cain? And Jesus just mentioned, he said, he's the father of, he murdered from the beginning, referring to Cain and Abel. And Cain proved his uh, true nature by doing that. And then you can look at Saul, who tries to kill David, Saul the king. And then you can look at Moses, who kills the Egyptian in a rage. And then Herod, Herod, the emperor, the king in Jerusalem, he is killing the innocents because he is so enraged at the idea that there could be a star being born, somebody to take the throne in Jerusalem. So anger can lead us to sin, to atrocities, but also anger can lead us not into sin. For example, Moses is very angry when he comes down with the, tables, uh, the two tables of the law and he breaks the, ta- the tablets on the rocks. But the Lord doesn't say, well, it's, it's a human reaction. It's in a way, it's what we call anger as righteous indignation because he cannot believe that the people will just worship a God made of the human hands, right? The bull of gold. So human uh, indignation. And then I think human indignation in us as Christians, it can be good. It can be a reason for us to fight or flight. When we see an evil, an injustice, when we see somebody's sin, let's say you go on on a road and there's a road rage. And maybe you heard this even uh, here just a few months ago, I guess. When was it? Maybe a year ago. There were two guys who got in a road rage and they got out of the car and they shot each other and they killed each other. Because they were so enraged. And, and, and a righteous anger tells us, no, I'm going to run. I'm either running from sin or I fight the sin. But I'm not letting sin conquer me. And then it gives us a drive to seek justice and righteousness. And not only that, it gives us the tenacity to stand for a good cause. Many people say, where is the church today standing for a good cause? And several of our churches, Christian churches in the Christendom, They are so strong and standing for good causes. But remember this, even when you have enemies that can tempt you with anger, they can push us to find our own voice. And the more they pound, the more they they kind of tempt us to be angry, the more we can find our voice and say, no, stop. Stop the killing. Stop the slandering. Stop the blasphemy, the gossip, the backstabbing. Stop it. And the more we let our enemies kind of teach us the stronger we can become if we turn our anger in righteous indignation. I just want to say that there are two cultural myths that are kind of just 
propagated today, and they're maybe in the books, on TV, and one of them is that the God of the Old Testament is perceived as an angry and mean moral monster. Basically, we say, you know, if you look in the Old Testament, he is inciting Israel to genocide and to ethnic cleansing. So he's so mean and so angry, then he wipes people off and nations and tribes and everything else. Well, I don't think that's a clear picture of the God of the Old Testament. If you remember, many, many times, just check this, you can check this on Google or whatever, many, many times, the God in the Old Testament, it says, who is slow to anger and abounding in love. Many, many times. If you look at the table, the Ten Commandments, at least the last half of them, they refer to how we ought to treat each other. Most religions tell us how to relate to God. Christianity and, and Judaism tells us how to relate also to others, not only to God. So the last five says, you shall not kill, steal, lie, covet, and commit adultery. It's basically loving the neighbor, and the command we think it's only in the New Testament, but look, it's in Leviticus. It says, do not seek revenge. In other words, do not let anger conquer you. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. It's not something that only the New Testament preaches or Jesus. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the second myth is that, um, especially this is from Richard Dawkins, he basically says that uh, we are all dancing to the music of our own DNA. Basically saying that our Anger is genetically conditioned. We are born angry, and we are born to act. And, for example, if I snap at you, uh, it's not really my fault. You know, you, you challenge me. I mean, you are, why did you provoke me, right? So if I put you down, uh, you get used to it. That's how I function, right? I was born that way. So if I am an abuser, I am who I am by nature. So you just have to understand that. That's who I am. I get angry and I snap, and I maybe treat you badly, maybe hit you. And then if I'm a terrorist, I'm so sorry I was born that way. You know, we are basically dancing, it says, on the music of our DNA. It's a genetic conditioning. That's what I believe. I'm sorry. So you think I'm angry? That's not anger. It's just the way I am. So these are the two cultural meets that I think they are false. Because look what Paul says here. In your anger, do not sin. Yes, we get angry, but there is a possibility that we can stop our anger from leading us to sin. And it's not something new because it's a quote from Psalm 4 verse 4. Tremble and do not sin, says that Psalm. So it's not something totally new. And then if you look at Jesus... Jesus is teaching us anyone who is angry. You have heard that people in the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments said, you shall not kill. But this is what I tell you. Anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. You cannot be angry with somebody. And this is the NIV, but I like how the, the, the message continues that idea. It says like this, carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just find yourself rule, hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, are you on the brink of hellfire? The simple moral fact is 
that words kill. It's a moral fact that words kill. And Jesus basically is teaching us, saying, you don't have to physically hurt somebody. You can kill somebody with your words. I like how Timothy Keller puts this, and he says, basically, or biblically, this ability to deal with anger, to pray for your enemies, to forgive people, to pray for your oppressors, to repay evil with good, and all that is an essential sign of Christianity. In other words, you can say you are the son of Abraham, what Jesus tells the Pharisees, if you receive my word, if you forget about killing me, because you already killed the prophets. If you want to kill me like the other prophets, you prove your own nature. You cannot be my sons and the sons and daughters of God and of Abraham. And that's what Jesus says too. You cannot be angry. You cannot call names somebody else. You can kill them without touching them. So you see, how do I get into trouble? How do I get, how do I get to anger? Is there, is there, are there any steps from, from somebody doing something, from an event to our anger in our heart? Sometimes I think it's in a, in a split second. It, it's just in less than a second we can be angry. You, you see somebody, you know, they just, they just burst off anger. But I do think that we can also look at some steps. And I will just give a few steps here. First is frustration, right? Something happened. And people say that uh, even up to 20 times a day we can be frustrated, irritated by something, like those phone calls, right? But even before we leave the house in the morning, you can go downstairs and uh, you want to eat your favorite, uh, maybe uh, favorite uh, uh, cereal, and there's, there's none left. The box is there, it's empty. And then you just say, whoa. You know, and then you say, okay, I'm going to have a, a, a hot chocolate. You go and the milk is gone, right? That's twice. You go to the car to drive your kids, and you have a flat tire, and so on. So things don't go the way you want. So you start to be frustrated. But then you start to demand things. And you say, no, I need to win on this. I must have my way. Things need to go the way I want. Why don't they go the way I want? And then you can start to, to assume, assume blame and to, to point finger and say, it is, it is you. It is because of the kids. They ate the, the cereal, right? They played and they, they got me into flat fire. They left those nails in the driveway, whatever. And then you start to think, oh, they deserve punishment, right? They deserve punishment. I just, I just need to punish them. And then the anger is basically saying, I'm going to punish them. I'm going to yell at them, maybe spank them, maybe you know, give them time out. I'm going to be mean to them because they deserve all of that punishment. The path to anger can, and we can go through all of these steps, and maybe you can find more, right, or less. But sometimes we just snap to anger, right? Something happens, and our reaction is anger, 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 and we are filled with it. I wanted to see how that guy that we met earlier, Max, now uh, he becomes something else, filled with anger. And he is so full of anger that he is scary. If somebody even mentions a word or something, he is going to destroy the world. So look at this. I don't know what's going on with me. I can see that. I, can, I, I believe you. Strange. I feel like I got so much. I got so much anger. It's 
I can see that. I can see you don't want to be here. I can see you're scared. I can see you don't know what's happening to you. I can see that you don't want to hurt anybody. It's going to be all right. Got a clear shot. Standing by. I don't want them shooting me. I'm going to shoot you. You guys, this is my buddy Max. I told you about Max. Go on. Shoot some Max. You and me, okay? It's just you and, you and me talking. Whoa, whoa. Stay right there. Stay right there. Just be careful. The brake is the electricity. Just... I just... I just wanted everyone to see me. He makes a move. Take that shot. How about you come with me? Okay. Go somewhere we'll talk. Away from all these people, okay? So how short is our fuse, right? How short is our fuse? His fuse wasn't that, uh, you know, he was so full with anger that the fuse was really short. But, you know, even the classic appeal, like psychology, I think, you know, tells us that there are several ways, and maybe you find more, but... I would just like us to look at three classic ways to, to deal with anger. You know, one is expressing anger. And it says basically just let it all hang out there. Just go and talk about it and tell everybody. And I've heard that the scientists now move away from that. And they say, no, that can be used for some to abuse and to hurt others just because they feel, well, I have to let it go, right? I have to tell you what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. But then the second one is suppressing. You know, you suppress that anger. And it can be an anger that turns anger inward it's a, it's a strategy that turns against you because you can you know get high blood pressure and all sorts of uh, depression and other, other things like that but then there's also in this category a passive aggressive behavior that we can develop and basically it's getting back at people that hurt you or do something to you indirectly rather than confronting them head on and a lot of times you know your personality changes and you become constantly you know a person that constantly puts others down criticizes everything and makes a lot of cynical comments, you know. You cannot say something positive because something negative comes back, you know. And you've, you've lived maybe yourself in, in these times when you were like that or you've lived with somebody like that. So that's one way to say you are suppressing, but it comes back, you know. Some, I, I heard the lady said, you know, uh, I, I don't think I, uh, I'm suppressing things, but I don't think I am punishing, you know. I'm not criticizing and then... Uh, but how do you deal with, with uh, the counselor said, and say, well, I just uh, don't deal with it. Okay, so your treatment is silent. That's another treatment, silence, right? But then the, the third one is calming, you know, and then you try all sorts of relaxation techniques. You are angry, you know that you are angry, and then you say, okay, maybe I need to take a deep breath, you know, from, from my diaphragm and just, just let it go and count to 10 or something like that, or maybe get out of the situation for a while and come back and visualize a relaxing experience, something nice, or exercise, biking, running, or maybe P90X or other things like that. Or some people say journal. No, journal. Make sure that every week you journal every day. And then at the end of the week you look, when were you hungry and stuff like that. But these are some classical ways to deal with anger. And if you think about it, it's not bad. And they are mainly they're dealing with the, the symptoms. You are angry, now what do you do with the symptoms? But there is also, in addition to this, I will say there are some biblical ways of redirecting anger. And one of them is just be authentic. You know, just go to God and say, you know what? This is who I am. And I deal with anger. And I believe in you. Often my belief is just in my head. Sometimes I believe in my heart. But it's really hard for me to control my anger. So a lot of things and a lot of times I think we can indicate that. You know, that somebody is having uh, to grow in that area. And maybe it's me or maybe it's you. And all of us, I think... We are on this path to grow in controlling our anger. We might have an A-plus in ministry gifts. We are gifted in ministry, but in terms of controlling anger, we maybe we're a C-minus, right? 
And that can happen, right? And we want to bring that up too. And then just be authentic and say, you know, Lord, I need your help. And then just time your anger. I, I like how uh, the apostle says, do not let the sun go down over your anger. Basically saying, okay, if you are angry, before the end of the day, and maybe you can make a rule in your family, say, it doesn't matter what happened during the day, how angry we got at each other, but before we go to bed, we will reconcile. We will not let our anger take us beyond the, the sunset. Maybe that's a, a wonderful rule that we can think about and say, no matter what happened, no matter, even if the person is 10,000 miles away in Romania, I'm not going to let the anger get to me over by tomorrow. So I'm stopping here. So before I go to bed, I finish it. And then is resist the anger. You know what it says? Basically it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? And here, basically, Paul says, do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let him come and put his food, feet, you know, to have a, f- a foot in the door. Because you will never be able to close that door. He will come and send other, other sins in your life and fill your heart with sins. So that's one way to deal with anger. And I really think that in the end, spending time with our counselor, Jesus Christ. That's what he's uh, called, counselor, wonderful counselor. The prince of peace, not of anger, but of peace. Spending time with him, maybe on a daily basis, more than we do now, will lead us to be able to control our anger. In the end, he can control our anger. It's nothing wrong to tell him, I need control. I need you to help me in this area. Remember that he is the one who absorbed all anger that the world can muster on the cross when he prayed for his torturers. He was there in the middle of this situation where he was dying by bleeding, gushing. Everything was coming out of him through the turns, through everything, through the cuts, through the whips, through the nails. His body was losing, his body was losing blood. And yet he said, Father, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Whether you pray this for your enemies or whether we are honest and we just pray the Lord's Prayer, right? We have to be authentic and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. Forgive my debts just as I forgive my debtors. In a way, we think that only Jesus has to pray that. But we do, in the Lord's Prayer, pray the same thing. And we say, Father, I want your forgiveness and control my anger just as you did on the cross. We need to come back to the cross. And that's where I invite all of you to come. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ, for the call of the Bible to trust in you, to forgive those who annoy us, to be able to let you control our hearts. So this morning we open up again to you, to the control of the Holy Spirit, to the fruit of the Spirit, to to those spiritual powers that we need to control our anger and to redirect it into a holy righteousness uh, attitude to that righteous indignation on sin, on evil, and also a righteous passion for good. So may you transform us to be more and more like Jesus, who can not only control the anger, but also pray for those who cause him to be angry. Give us that power, Lord, because we pray in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Spirit. Amen.